Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Amen. Let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 16, please. Second Samuel chapter 16, this is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. Now when David had passed a little beyond the summit, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of saddled donkeys, and on them were 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a jug of wine. The king said to Ziba, why do you have these? And Ziba said, the donkeys are for, for the king's household to ride, and the bread and summer fruit are for the young men to eat, and the wine for who, whoever is faint in the wilderness to drink. Then the king said, and where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, behold, he is staying in Jerusalem, for he said, today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, behold, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours, And Ziba said, I prostrate myself. Let me find favor in your sight, O Lord the King. When King David came to Baharim, behold, there came out from there a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, son of Gera. He came out cursing continually as he came. He threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were at his right hand and at his left. Thus Shimei said when he cursed, get out, get out, you man of bloodshed and worthless fellow. The Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. And behold, you are taken in your own evil for you are a man of bloodshed. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over now and cut off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, O sons of Zeruiah? If he curses, and if the Lord has told him, Curse David, then who shall say, Why have you done so? Then David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my son who came out from me seeks my life. How much more now this Benjamite? Let him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him. Perhaps the Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of this cursing this day. So David and his men went on the way, and Shimei went along on the hillside parallel with them. And as he went, he cursed and cast stones and threw dust at him. The king and all the people who were with him arrived weary, and he refreshed himself there. Then Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, entered Jerusalem, and Ahithophel with them. Now it came about when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king! Long live the king! Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord, this people, and all the men of Israel have chosen... His I will be, and with him I will remain. Besides, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son? As I have served in your father's presence, so I will be in your presence. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your advice. What shall we do? 
Ithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to, the, to keep the house. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself odious to your father. The hands of all who are with you will also be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. The advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one inquired of the word of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel regarded by both David and Absalom. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would teach us, that you would bless your people, that you would strengthen us by uh, this, this preaching of your word. Father, be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so we're back in the life of King David and a little bit of review as we get into this. You remember that Absalom is David's son. Absalom is David's son and Absalom um, is rising up against David and David is to the point where he's had to flee from Jerusalem. So he's on his way east of Jerusalem, away from the presence of God. Um, he's come up to the peak of the Mount of Olives, and that's where things um, that's where things stand. The previous chapter we went through, remember, fifteen, Absalom had won the hearts of Israel to himself by sitting at the gates and judging their disputes and draw and and you basically using their stirring up disgruntled attitudes and poisoning people against David. So Absalom had been doing that work and the hearts of the men, the hearts of Israel are going after him. So that's where we pick up in 16. David leaves Jerusalem. He's ascending the Mount of Olives. He's now past the summit of the Mount of Olives. And along comes a guy named Ziba. Now this is not the first time we've come across Ziba in 2 Samuel. Ziba was the man who um, was the servant of Mephibosheth. And who's Mephibosheth? Anybody remember who, who Mephibosheth is? He's a, he's a lame son of Jonathan. He's the grandson of Saul, right? And David, remember David, after Saul is out of the picture, David says, is there anybody that I can do good to in the house of Saul? And it's Mephibosheth that, that David goes and blesses, says that Mephibosheth is going to eat at my table, gives him land. And Ziba was his servant, right? And so along comes Ziba, and he says, he, it, it, he brings these blessings to David. David's on the run. Who knows how quickly he had to leave? Who knows what provisions he has? But here comes Ziba with donkeys for the, the, the royal household to ride on and um, 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, no summer fruit, or uh, 100 summer fruits, and, and um, a jug of wine, right? It's, it's a show, show of loyalty, isn't it? He's coming to David, he's, he's showing forth all these um, fruits and all of these good things in a, in a difficult time. Or is it a show, show of loyalty? Um... If we, if we turn forward to chapter 19, look, look at chapter 19 and verse 20, 
24. In, verse, in chapter 19, verse 24, we return to Mephibosheth. And we, say, we find out what's going on with Mephibosheth. Because Ziba has told him, Ziba told David that Mephibosheth is happy that you're out of the city because that means the throne is going to be restored to the family of Saul. Right? So Mephibosheth is like, great, David's gone. It's going to come back to me. The kingdom is coming back to me. And Ziba's like, that's what's happening. I'm loyal to you. So in 24 of 19, then Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. And he had neither cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came home in peace. It was when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? So he answered, Oh, my Lord, the king, my servant deceived me. Who's the servant? Ziba. My servant deceived me, for your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king because your servant is lame. Moreover, he has slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your sight. For all my father's household was nothing but dead men before my lord the king. Yet you set your servant among those who ate at your own table. What right do I have yet that I should complain any more to the king? So the king said to him, Why do you still speak of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. Mephibosheth said to the king, Let him even take it all, since my lord the king has come safely to his own home. Right? So Ziba is what's called an opportunist. Ziba is an opportunist. Ziba sees that David is leaving, and he's like, ha ha, here's a way that I can get in on the inheritance that David, or, or on the, the, um, the inheritance that David has given to Mephibosheth. And so all of this is scheming and manipulation and opportunism on the part of Ziba. And we see the heart of Mephibosheth later is not, um, is not against David. In fact, he's willing to give up all that he has in order to remain loyal to King David. And so this is, Ziba is making the most of the situation. And he, David, in a quick moment, I mean, think of everything that David's worried about at that moment. Think of him having to leave Jerusalem, not knowing um, where provisions are coming from. He's got 600 men with him. He's got um, perhaps people pursuing him and and then Ziba comes along and he's, he makes a split second decision that, and he gives Ziba all that Mephibosheth had. And so um, this is a play by Ziba and he's capitalizing on David's trouble. Capitalizing on somebody's trouble. Right? That is not a position that you should ever find yourself in capitalize on somebody else's trouble. I mean, this happens all the time. We see it all the time. There's a, there's a earthquake somewhere in the world, and it's just like the scoundrels come out of the woodwork because they can make money off of people, people's suffering, right? Their, their warehouse is filled with food that governments put there and don't give to the people because the government's corrupt and they want to sell it once everything has settled, right? This oppor- it's taking opportunity. That's taking making opportunity out of other people's trouble. And that's precisely what Ziba is doing here. And then along comes another member of the house of Saul. 
Shimei. Shimei is the guy that is, um, I mean, we remember this section. He he's comes out cursing and throwing stones at David. Um, talk about kicking a man while he's down, right? He's being thrown out of his, his city, and, and here comes Shimei reminding David of his sins. Reminding David of his sins. Not quite getting his sins right, though. Right, because Shimei is of the house of Saul, and he's like he's mad at David for the bloodshed that that he exhibited toward the house of Saul. But but David was very forbearing toward the house of Saul, particularly toward Saul himself. Right, many times he had opportunity to kill him, and he did not. Right, he would not put his hand against the Lord's anointed, and so um, Shimei gets it wrong. But indeed, David is a man of bloodshed. He's a man of bloodshed because he killed Uriah, right? He's a man of bloodshed. So he's throwing stones at David. He says, get out, you man of bloodshed. Abishai, faithful son of Zeruiah, brother of, of, um, oh, come on, somebody help me, brother of uh, Joab, thank you. Brother of Joab, those, those um, very zealous and violent men, the sons of Zeruiah, he says to David, let me cut his head off. Let me deal with this man. He has no right to talk to the king as he's, as he's talking. He has no right to insult you. Even, even had Abishai been fully aware, as he, as he likely was, as was all of Israel, of the sins of David, He's not going to let somebody talk to the king that way, right? And so Abishai suggests that uh, he go out and cut off his head. Well, David's response is, is something to think about. What does David essentially say? David's response, if he curses and, and if the Lord has told him, curse David, then who shall say, why have you done so? If the Lord has told him to do this, then I'm not about to intercede. Now, is that a conclusion that any of us would come to? No, it's not a conclusion that any of us would come to because we'd all be like, Abishai, I think I'm with you. I think I'm with you. Go cut his head off. I am the, I am the king. I have the authority to announce an execution and a judgment. And, and so go deal with this troubler of Israel. But not David. David is, David in situations like this, we know David sins. David is a man who's, who, whose lusts, whose many wives, who's lusting for Bathsheba, um, nearly destroyed him and the kingdom, right? But when it comes to conflict, it's particularly the conflict between him and Saul, and now with, with Shimei here in the house of Saul, we see him be, be able to take a step back and be very patient in those situations. He, he eventually says, let him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him. Right? The Lord has told him this. Let him curse. Let him, let him keep going on. And then perhaps 
there's this phrase, which verse is it? Then perhaps um, 12, verse 12. Then perhaps the Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of cursing this day. There's some question about the translation of this passage. There's, there's um, Hebrew, depending on little vowel points, can, can change words. And there's some question about the translation of this. Uh, it could also be translated, perhaps the Lord will look on my iniquity and return good to me instead of cursing this day. Not look on my affliction, but look on my iniquity. So in other words, if, if we take that translation, he'll look on my iniquity, his mind goes back to Bathsheba and Uriah. And he says, perhaps God will look on my sin and even still bring good out of it. right? And even still return good to me instead of cursing this day. Even though I've sinned, God may still bless me, right? And that's a, that's a perfectly legitimate scriptural idea, isn't it? That's the grace of God. That's what the grace of God is to every one of us. I've sinned terribly, and perhaps God will bless me. Um, that, that is the grace of God. Now, if it's his affliction... If we translate it that, then it's the situation he's currently in. Perhaps, perhaps um, the Lord will look on my affliction. He will look on uh, Shimei throwing rocks at me and calling me names. And then he will return good to me instead of cursing. So my forbearance in this moment will eventually lead to good. I'm not sure which way to take it. Both of them, both of them help us process through this story. Um, <clears throat> but nonetheless, I mean, think of David coming out of the situation to be able to think this way. Think of him coming out of the situation to be able to put his mind on God and what God would have for him and what God was doing and to be like, and to draw out of a situation and think, okay, what is the Lord doing here? What is the Lord doing here? We often have to do the same things. We can get wrapped up in situations and it's hard for us to pull back enough to, to uh, allow the Lord to uh, teach us what He's doing and to see what He's doing and also for us to wait upon the Lord. Um, <clears throat> that is exactly what... Um, that is exactly what David does here and it's a beautiful example of this. Now, do you know what happens to Shimei? So when the power of the kingdom transfers from David to Solomon, David has a list of men that need to be executed. And he gives them to Solomon, and Shimei is on the list. Right? Shimei is on the list, but he, um, he's shown mercy, right? And Shimei stays has to stay within the environs of the city. He has to stay within Jerusalem. And if he goes out, then he's going to be killed. Well, he goes out, right? And then he's, he's executed. And so, um, so there is that in the whole picture here going on. David, David does have particular individuals that Solomon needed to deal with in order to bring stability to the kingdom. 
And um, so David waits to bring vengeance down upon this man. Um, But think about David's ability at times to take hits and wait on the Lord. That's commendable. To take hits, to have this obnoxious man hitting him and hitting him and hitting him and yet to wait on the Lord. I mean, how often do we not wait on the Lord? How often do we take hits? How often do we take hits even from our own children, right? And we want to fly off the handle rather than be forbearing and wait upon the Lord and be patient. And so this is commendable. This is godliness in David. Um, We saw him not take out the Lord's anointed, though it seemed like God had arranged all of that to put David right with Saul and he wouldn't do that. He didn't um, take out this currently the lesser Shimei. Um, do things work out better when we wait on the Lord? Things work out better when we wait upon the Lord. It's often hard to know what to do in the moment. I mean, there are things you feel so strongly about that if you follow your emotions and your passions and all of that, you'll do something. And it will feel good just because it's catharsis, right? Ah, I can express myself and I can express my thoughts and I can do this. But um, that often leads to intense complications down the road. And you having to walk back so many things you said, having to having to rework relationships that have been destroyed. And, um, and that is not good. So better to wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. What, what, did, what did David... David didn't grasp too, lightly to his, too, too tightly to his reputation, did he? I mean, think if David was a proud man. If David were a proud man in this situation, as soon as, that, as, soon as Shimei started started throwing rocks and calling him out as a man of bloodshed, that would have been too much for him. It just would have been too much. He himself would have gone up on the hillside and killed Shimei himself. Um, That's what Joab would have done. That's what many of the kings of Israel would have done. That's what Jezebel and Ahab would have done. That's what, um, but not David, the man after God's own heart. He is not grasping too tightly to his reputation. Why? Because his sins are notorious. <laughs> his sins are out there. His sins are known. Nathan the prophet came to him and said, you're the man. And he knows that. And that's all of us, right? That's all of us. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, we shouldn't hold too tightly to our manufactured reputation. Right? Appearances. That leads to pride, that leads to intractability, right? You've sinned, you need Jesus. You've sinned, you need Jesus. And we see that in, in, in um, David here. He needs Jesus. Have you ever had your sins thrown in your face? Have you ever had your sins, not what someone thinks is your sins, but your actual sins? Have you ever had your actual sins thrown in your face? There's not a husband and wife alive who haven't done that to each other, right? We know how to push one another's buttons. We know particularly where others have sinned. Siblings probably know it of one another as well, right? Um, 
<clears throat> have you even had your sins not just thrown in your safe, face, but, ex- but exposed as Shimei did? And exposed at, the, that, at, the, at a terrible time. Right? Exposed when you're fleeing Jerusalem. Um, respond as David did. Perhaps the Lord is in this. Perhaps the Lord is simply humbling me. And I need humbling. I constantly need humbling. There is nothing that anybody... I mean, you could say the worst things about me and they're true. I'm that evil. I'm that wicked. You should, you should think my thoughts. Right? And so God is going to humble us. God is going to humble David through these, these rocks and words of Shimei. And so remember that. Remember that when someone comes at you, your first impression should not be, I'm going to cut his head off. Your first impression should be, yeah, I'm a man of bloodshed. I'm a man of bloodshed. And act accordingly. In verse 12, he puts himself in God's hands. Perhaps the Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of his cursing. He's got the will of God in mind. He puts himself there. And then 13 to 14, Shimei was relentless. Even after all of this, he just follows them along, throwing stones and throwing dust and calling David a man of bloodshed. And it says at the end, and this, is, this has to be connected, verse 14, the king and all his people were, uh, who were with him arrived weary. Right? Think of how, about how wearying it would be to hear this guy constantly throwing lobs at you and, and stones and... Um, they are weary, and so they finally get some rest once they arrive there. And then Absalom. Back to Absalom. What's going on with Absalom? Well, Absalom finally makes it to Jerusalem. With him is Ahithophel, who used to be with David, right? He was David's counselor, and now he's gone along, and he's a traitor to David and has joined up with Absalom. Hushai is also in this section. Back in the previous chapter, the end of it ended with Hushai. Remember, Hushai is is listed there as David's friend. That could either be that he's David's friend or it's an official title that he's sort of on the, the, the inner circle of David's counselors. And so Hushai, David had told him in verse 32 to 37 of chapter 15, Hushai, go and thwart the counsel of uh, Ahithophel. Go and thwart it. Go and uh, mess up his counsel somehow. And so Hushai comes to uh, Absalom. Absalom is skeptical. Why are you here? What, What do you want from me? Hushai then does some pretty sophisticated speaking. Right? Is there a time for sophisticated speaking? <laughs> there is a time for that. I think, um, when was another time we see sophisticated speaking, or perhaps it's just sophisticated actions, but um, you think of when the, when the armies of Israel are, are entering into uh, Jericho, right, and you have Rahab saying certain things and doing certain things to put people off from the, uh, the spies of Israel, 
Right, so here Hushai deceives Absalom, but there's double meaning in what he's saying. Look at, look at what he says. Hushai said to Absalom, well, 17, Absalom said to Hushai, is this your loyalty to your friend? Why do you not go with your friend? Then Hushai said to, oh, sorry, I need to go back to 16. Now it came about when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, long live the king, long live the king. Well, who's he referring to? He's not referring to Absalom. He's referring to David, for all we know, right? He can say that before Absalom, and Absalom's going to hear it as, oh, he's, he's affirming me as king. But it very well could be that Hushai is just saying, look, long live David. Long live David. And Absalom said to Hushai, is this your loyalty to your friend? So he's hearing it as loyalty to himself. Why not... Um, why did you not go with your friend? Then Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord, this people, and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and with him I will remain. Again, God, David, David is the Lord's anointed, right? Not, not Absalom. Absalom is, a, is the son of the king, but the king has not abdicated his throne. His son is trying to take it by force. It's a coup. And so, again, Hushai can say this and still have in his mind, David, I am loyal to the one that God has chosen. And yet, what's Absalom going to hear? Weird. This guy seems to have come over to my side. And so, um, he he goes on, he says, Besides, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son? As I have served in your father's presence, so I will be in your presence. Right? And so, again, he's using language here in a, way to, um, in a way to be able to not be cast out of the presence of Absalom and not be immediately dismissed as a, as a threat. And so there he is with, with, Absalom, or with Absalom and with Ahithophel. Right? And so finally we get to see what the advice of Ahithophel is like. Absalom says to him, give your advice, what shall we do? And what does Ahithophel tell him to do? Go sleep with David's concubines. What does that mean? Is that just about having a good time for the night? No. The king's harem is the king. The king's harem is his kingdom. And so, to typical of the time period, to conquer kingdoms, um, there would be at some point a conquering of the king's harem. And so for him to go in, and it says later, to make, make himself odious to his father, is for him to declare to Israel that his father's kingdom has been conquered by me. And what that does is it makes it so that this is the point of no return. This is the point of no return. Absalom has completely betrayed the trust of his father. But notice these things also about this. Where does it take place? On the rooftop. What else took place on that very same rooftop? David's looking upon Bathsheba 
That very same rooftop, right, is where they set up this tent and Absalom goes into the concubines. That's where David had gazed upon the, the bathing Bathsheba. And so we go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12 and you remember what, what, is, what the Lord says to David there. This is what the Lord says. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. So here's a fulfillment of that prophecy. The companion it speaks about is David's own son, Absalom, who's doing this before the watching eyes of Israel in broad daylight. And so this is the punishment of David being enacted by God, being worked out. So some application out of this to return to a few things that I said before. Ziba. Ziba was a man who was trying to make an impression. He, he was trying to profit from somebody's trouble. He's using words to make an impression on other, then using it to his advantage. Um, in this sense, profiting off the trouble of others is is obviously terrible. And it's a situation where we should let our yes be yes and our no be no. Right? We should be very clear about that. It's truth, integrity, honesty is what God would have for us. Um, though, though it may be painful. But Ziba is just... You, Ziba is, is manipulating with his words. But now contrast that with Hushai. And they're very similar He's using words as well, but he certainly is doing it to um, be helpful to the Lord's anointed, right? And he's pushing words not for his own personal advantage, like Ziba. Ziba wants Mephibosheth's property. But Hushai is caring for David, his master, his king, his friend, right? And so I'm not saying that deception is good in one area and not good in another, but what I am saying is the use of words is, is very important. We can be sophisticated with our words, and both Ziba and Hushai were sophisticated with their words, but Ziba was doing it for bad ends, and Hushai was doing it for good ends. Um, <clears throat> have you ever said, I'm praying for you, and you're not? Or I'll pray for that, and you don't? You're trying to make an impression. You're trying to show your forth your piety that doesn't exist, right? Don't do that. Don't be like that. In fact, if you're weak like I am and you'll forget to pray, then just pray in the moment, right? And then you don't have to say, "Well, I'm going to pray for you," and you don't, you know, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to go through the agony of having. Three minutes from that time, stopping your life and praying for 30 seconds, right? The agony, the terrible agony of that. So we, uh, it's just an example that, that came to mind where we can make an impression with our piety and, 
It's just a way to cover, cover it up, cover up our impiety. Um, <clears throat> or, or not just pray in the moment. Why, why not just pray for that friend and not tell them? Right? I'm praying for you. Why not just pray and not tell them? Right? But, but we want credit for our acts of piety. Um, <clears throat> and uh, praying for somebody and not telling them is to get nothing out of it for ourselves, uh, which is exactly the way it should be. Um, be careful of advice givers, self-help gurus who make a living on this kind of word usage. Right? Be careful of making your pastors those, those who are on Twitter and on Facebook and on websites. They don't know your manner of life, and you don't know their manner of life either. Okay? And so it's just empty words. It's just, it's just advice that, that exists in a vacuum. But that's why, that's, why, um, that's why we get together as a church, because our life is in, incarnate together, right? We're flesh and blood with each other. I have to smell your bad breath, and you have to smell my bad breath, right? And you have to smell my kid's body odor. And I get to smell your kid's body odor. And that's so helpful, right? It's so helpful. Then we're more than just our words, right? We're more than just words, which we can manipulate people to believe anything about us with words. We can go on Facebook and create the... the um, we can seem like the godliest person in the history of the Western world by what we write there. But then if, if somebody came and smelled your armpits, they're going to know you're not that perfect person there. You really should wash your armpits. <laughs> My wife is telling me to stop. She's like, please have mercy. This is not preaching. It is preaching. Take it. Um, <laughs> uh, also, remember this. Ahithophel's advice is God working out his will. Ahithophel giving bad advice is God working out his will. Ahithophel giving evil advice is God being able to use that in order to punish David's sin with, with Bathsheba and Uriah. And so the way that God works in his providence is, is quite remarkable. Um, a commentary I was reading said, this is perhaps the ultimate humiliation for all who oppose God and his kingdom. The betrayer only carries out God's word. And that can prove solid solace to the people of God when we are in the presence of our enemies. Right? The betrayer is carrying out the will of God. Judas carried out the will of God even though what he did was evil. It was terrible. It was the greatest wickedness uh, perhaps of any man. He's called the son of damnation, the son of perdition because of what he did. And yet God used that in order for us to be redeemed. Right? And so it's, it's the Joseph principle. What, God, what um, you intended for evil, God intended for good. And when we're in the presence of our enemies and God is enacting things that, that are way beyond us, then we can take solace in that. We, um, we can know that God is pushing about even our enemies 
to accomplish His will. And that, that should be great comfort to all of us in a wicked and perverse generation in which we live. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the conviction that Your Word brings to us and how You as a good Father are constantly disciplining us. Lord, we pray that we would, we would, be, we would see David as an example of Christ-likeness to us. Father, and see his ability to remove himself and to uh, think of you before he thinks of his own reputation. Lord, always help us to do this. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.